This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. And welcome to episode 57 of the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne, so I'm back from a family break, hence no podcasts for a little while. But whilst I was away, the Lionesses played their final two games of the World Cup. I'm sure you're well aware of how it all panned out. I did manage to see the USA game in a bar, sat next to a German guy who persisted in buying me Warsteiner beer. Not my most favourite, I have to admit. But yeah, free beer, don't knock it. Uh, He can speak no English and my German is only good enough for ordering food and drink and asking where the train station is. But the cliche exists. We spoke the language of football. Coming up on this episode, we speak with England fan and TV presenter Steve Hopper, who was the host of the Daily Adopted by series on Brighton's latest TV. He tells us more about that and his experiences. Also, in Seville, Spain, there's been another World Cup taking place. The International Federation of Cerebral Palsy Football World Cup. England's team were drawn in Group A, finishing second after beating Germany 5-2 and Japan 6-0 although we did lose to Brazil by a goal to nil. England, or the Paralions, faced the USA in the quarters on Sunday, beating them 4-2, which meant they faced Russia in the semi-finals on Tuesday the 16th of July, which sadly ended in defeat, losing 3-0. In the previous tournament, the Paralions finished fourth, so an opportunity to go one step further now as they face Brazil again for the third and fourth place. We wish them all the very best for that. The game rules for the teams are seven aside and on a smaller size pitch, and matches are played over 30-minute halves with no offsides. As I say, all the very best to the Paralions. Bring home that third place. Now with the World Cup over, the Lionesses have already three matches scheduled in the diary for this year. Belgium away at the end of August, Norway away in September and Germany of course at home at Wembley in November. All friendlies. There will be no qualification games for the Lionesses for the foreseeable because 2021 the European Championships will be held here in England. Uh, So it's just a case of friendlies for the Lionesses. Not so much on the senior men front other than the Czech Republic match on Friday the 11th of October, has been confirmed as being played in Prague, at the home of Slavia Prague. It's the Eden Arena, or the Sinobo Stadium, whichever it is officially known as. Then the following match against Bulgaria is still up in the air, as the Bulgarian Football Association are currently undergoing disciplinary proceedings for incidents that took place in their match against Kosovo. The hearing is due to take place on the 18th of July. Hopefully, it'll have a positive outcome for England fans who are travelling and not a repeat of that Croatia game that was behind closed doors. Now, Euro 2020, I received an email and it said 
along these lines. UEFA's deadline to apply for the general public Euro 2020 tickets has been and gone. It finished on Friday the 12th of July. Apparently over 5 million requests were received for the 1.5 million tickets available. Of course, this is a tournament spread across Europe, but the semi-finals and the final being played here in London at Wembley. The UEFA general public ticket application process is not linked in any way to the England Supporters Travel Club. So therefore, your caps that we've accumulated will not be considered if you have chosen to apply through that UEFA ballot. Our opportunity to apply for our England tickets, should we get there, will come in December. So hold fire for the England tickets. And then the Young Lionesses are also in action in the UEFA Women's Under-19 Finals. It's being hosted in Scotland. Now the girls opened their account against Germany on the 16th of July although they went down by two goals to one, with Jessica Naz getting England's consolation in injury time. We face Spain, who are the holders on the 19th of July, and Belgium on the 22nd of July. Hopefully the girls can get through those two games and progress through the tournament. We'll uh, we'll update you on that in the next podcast. Now, as I mentioned, coming up, Steve Hopper. Now, as I said at the top of the programme, we'd be speaking with England fan and TV presenter Steve Hopper. And I'd like to say he's, he's joined us now. Steve, hello there. Russell, how's it going? Uh, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very well. Now, you are, as I said, England fan and, and TV presenter for the purpose of myself and, and everyone listening. Maybe you could just elaborate a little bit more on that for me. Uh, yeah, sure. Well, I've, I've supported England all my life. My first tournament was Euro 1996 which, of course, was a, a big one. And there was no better year to, to start following England than that one. It was a home tournament, and they did so well reaching the semi-finals that year. So that was a really good entry for, for any young lad or young girl, of course, getting into football. And that's who I decided that I wanted to support. And, and of course, it's, this is a continuing story that I have to go through with a lot of people uh, every on a daily basis, really, because people, when they ask, as, as they do, who you support when they first meet you so who do you support and I say England and they go yeah 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 okay but who do you support because they expect you to say Arsenal, Man United, Chelsea whatever and I have to explain that England have always been my team and that when I was nine years old and I started following football England was the team that I I chose to back Uh, I didn't realise you were supposed to support a club team so for me, it was it was watching England. Uh, I just got into it. And that, that passion that came from Euro 96 was, yeah, this is what I want to get behind. This is the sort of team that I want to want to follow. And it just became a natural thing for me to, to follow them like any club. And so that was it. And history was made. And then through the years up until today, I'm 32. That's what I've stuck with. And, and, and I follow them just like any club. I, I think the sad thing for me is, is that when there's disappointments and England bow out of tournaments as they have done so many times. And uh, most fans get to go back to their clubs and they go, Oh, well, never mind. We've got the premier league to look forward to now. We can, we can watch that. And, and of course it's not quite the same. You have to wait a little while as, as an England fan. But when we go back to the, 
to the domestic leagues, I, I get to uh, follow the England players. Quite a high to start with, and it's taken... Uh, my maths isn't too good, but from '96 to, to 2018 was was quite a uh, quite a, a yep. gap of years with, with no years. success, as we as we all know. Yeah, so it took some quite waiting with no club side in between. Yeah, most definitely, it's it's been a hell of a journey. <laughs> you know, <laughs> quarter finals were the were the highlight of most of my childhood and, and teenage years. The highlights, you know. and then the disappointments of the penalties. Precisely, yeah. There was quite a few of those as well. Quite a few dropouts with that, as as we all know as England fans, and of course many of your listeners will uh, will will be joining both of us on on that on those memories and mm. and great disappointments. But you know that kind of makes a lot of what in, being an England fan is all about, and why I mean it's it's the lows that make you strangely more of a supporter. You kind of I don't know what it is, but there's something in that 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 makes you want to strive for success even more. Uh, that's how I feel about it, anyway. So it makes it makes the, any success even sweeter, you know, rather than winning things all the time. But we don't really have anything to compare it to, so <laughs> not no, in my I, lifetime, anyway. No, certainly know where you're where you're coming from, like that that bowing out of tournaments, give it a couple of months, and think, right, get up, let's go again for the qualifiers. I mean, do you get to go to the games? Are you are you a regular follower? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, I've lost count of how many times I've been to Wembley for cert- certainly sat all around the ground mm. at Wembley, uh, top to bottom. I think probably my favourite part of the ground is probably the upper tiers, actually. That's when I've, I've felt most comfortable. And because of the way that Wembley Stadium uh, has been built, you can see it from anywhere in the ground. I mean, I, I went to the old Wembley as well. It, you get a nice view of the game from anywhere. And I've been away to tournaments, of course, as well, So, which is good. Well, let's... Let's touch on the, the the TV presenter side of things and and your involvement recently with with England. Tell us about about that. Yeah, I've been a TV presenter for quite a few years. It was always a always a dream of mine to be a TV presenter. I've had a lot of involvement with the media over the years, ever since I was a, a kid. And I was like, well, that's what I want to do for a career. And it seemed a natural connection. It seemed a natural synchronization, if you like, as a big word there, um, mm-hmm. to put between football and media. So they kind of just join together quite easily, as a lot of things do. So when you have a passion for something or for two things and they kind of mesh together, it, it works because especially when you're being a TV presenter and you're conveying information or conveying a subject that you actually believe in and you have a lot of passion for, you know, as a TV presenter, you can you can talk about subjects that you might not necessarily agree with or you might not necessarily have that passion for because you're you're a professional so you can often talk about subjects that you might not have that much experience in but you can do an okay job of putting it across but you really come into your own when you really have a passion for a particular subject so when it comes to football it 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 seems to work really really well for me and that's something that seems to just be growing and I'm doing an awful lot more football wise over the last year or so than any other subject and and that's just continuing to grow which is which is wonderful just because i I love the sport so much Uh, and when it it comes to england of course that crossover is even even more so it's just uh something that that i thought well i really should be focused on england because that's that's even higher towards my passion so so that crossed over quite nicely the past year it started with um a world cup show a world cup latest show i started working with a, a channel called latest tv who are on virgin media and, and freeview and they're based down uh, here in brighton which is close to my neck of the woods and 
uh, we did a World Cup show, as I say, last year. It was a daily show based on, of course, the incredible tournament. Couldn't have picked a better tournament there either no. to, to do a daily show. Thought that was going to run out of steam at some point. And, of course, they uh, they continued right up until the latter stages, reaching the, the uh, third place game. So I, I managed to do a, a daily show right up until the end. Uh, That's an incredible was... amount of effort. And I and I know just, just from the experience of doing the podcast, of putting out an episode, I think I put out seven episodes of, of one after each game, um, which was... Well, uh, enjoyable to do, but very time-consuming. But uh, but for yourself to do one as a, a daily production, uh, I take my hat off to you. <laughs> Thank you. It was it was uh, exhausting to say the least. I needed a couple of months off after that. It was yeah. Well, it wasn't it really expected, was it? I mean, no. a lot of people thought that we may bow out at the group stages, particularly within an experienced side. Uh, a, a number of people thought we'd get to the second round, but no further. I don't think many people thought we'd get to the quarters and, and nobody thought we'd get to the semis. That was kind of the, the thought process. It was always the hope, of course, that we'd go far in the tournament. But really, did we have any expectations? Not really. We didn't really know what to think. And we, we had um, the lowest expectations we'd had for any tournament for, for, for donkey's years, I think. Mm. And... Um, the the process was that okay we're gonna we're gonna produce a, a series we're gonna do it a daily show but it probably won't last that long maybe we'll cover the group stages uh, and we'll do we'll do a show every every day that covers the groups and we'll do longer episodes for the England matches and surrounding those and then of course it it was supposed to actually drop off so that the amount of shows that we did was supposed to drop get get less and less uh, so. When England go out of the tournament, which would have, which you know we were expecting to be high up, you know maybe get out of the group stage, but po- probably the second round, it would have been a case that we would slow down the episodes. We wouldn't be doing daily ones, but we would be doing episodes that would kind of just focus on the big matches and then t- you know towards the final and, and what have you. But uh, of course, England did so well, so it was we just had to keep going. There was no other choice. I guess it was all all good experience for what materialised this year for the Women's World Cup. Yeah, definitely. So my my connection with with the FA has sort of grown and grown ever since that tournament, um, and uh, we've been involved heavily with with the FA this year, uh, and I've been privileged enough to be involved uh, heavily with the Lionesses this year. So uh, once again, we've, we've done another series known as Adopted by the Lionesses. This adopted by series is something that I came up with because of being an England supporter and only an England supporter. The idea was this year to come up with a series where can I be adopted by football clubs as a supporter? So we came up with an idea saying, okay, can we do adopted by the Albion, which is, of course, Brighton and Hove Albion. We did a, a, a groundbreaking series called Adopted by the Albion, where it was literally seeing if you could convert me, if you like, into a club supporter. And that went down like like a storm. And it, it was really, really enjoyable. And, and the viewers seemed to love it. And we ha- we've had a lot of praise on it just because it's it's essentially me behind the scenes of, of a football club and seeing if, and, and fans get to see if they can convert me and and i join in with the fans and you know again it was a great season doing that at brighton because they reached the semi-final of the fa cup so we've done adopted by non-league so we've done the likes of adopted by whitehawk football club who are are worldly known for their messages that they spread of of love to to everybody uh they're they're anti-homophobia anti-racism and they do 
they spread their messages of that. So we've done a lot of that. And then, of course, the natural progression, again, was to do, OK, well, let's do adopted by the Lionesses, because a lot of people don't know a lot about women's football. The first women's game that I watched was uh, 2005, uh, the Euros, when I think that was the first time England were uh, England women were on the television and they were on BBC Two. And Karen Carney scored that wonder goal, uh, which mm. kind of put her on the, on the stage. But but like most people, you know, I, I've followed the men's game and not a lot of people have followed the women's game. So I thought, well, this is a good opportunity to try to, to get behind the fans' point of view. And can I be adopted by the Lionesses? And, and, and so this, the series was, was wrote and, and that's how, how things went. Uh, I was very fortunate enough to spend some time with the Lionesses up at St. George's Park. We went there for a media day and we had, um, similar to the men, where they spoke to the media and talked about their ideas for this up up and coming World Cup. The great thing about these media days is you get the access to the players and you get to chat with them and talk to them and just really be open. And and that's what the media needs. I think it's been uh, a a really successful thing by the FA to to do this, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I think the, the problem with dated what i think is really dated media um, processes like press conferences when you go to press conferences it's quite difficult to get what you need from them because it's it's a very formal environment and i don't think players and managers particularly want to be there they they feel that they need to be there because it's just part of the process and protocol but they're often quite closed off because it's a very formal environment and I know from speaking with a lot of people in journalism and certainly from my point of view, being in the media, I would much prefer one-on-one interviews because you can just have a chat, nice and casual and friendly. And it's it's quite difficult to get what you need versus a one-on-one interview from, from a press conference environment. I think over the years, easy to see why teams are closed off because, of course, when you, you go back to the 90s, for instance, uh, and the bad press there was always seemed to be this kind of how old oh, how can we create a story and that the the the, uh, the tabloids for instance would would always look for a, for a story a negative story about how they can almost damage the the teams that's what it seemed to feel like it was i mean i, I go back to i can remember the euro 96 and, and the dentist chair situation where they were yes. trying to you know and it always feels like that a lot of i mean it still goes on today but um, I've heard countless stories over the years where people are always, the tabloids and magazines in particular, try to set up, the mainstream media often try to set up the players, the teams. The managers to, to, as well. Yeah, and the managers to create yeah. a story. Uh, I mean, we saw the likes of Sam Allardyce. I, I personally thought he was extremely unlucky a couple of years ago to be in his, in the position he was. And he was caught out by one of the mainstream newspapers for giving some dodgy advice, mm. shall we say. But I think he was quite unlucky. I think that maybe he was a bit silly in what he, what he did, but actually the way that he was caught out, he was, you know, he was stung. I think that actually taking that pressure off that type of environment is a really good thing. And it's so important for journalists, the media and the teams to to come together you know we're all on the same side and it's not not just the teams not just the media it's the fans as well it's the whole country we we're all together and the the closer we are together 
the more successful we'll be. Because when I look at the past history, having followed England since, since I was a child, and looking at the, the success we have when we're all on the same page, it's a much better environment and the pressure is off and we work together. So when fans are there supporting their team and the media that is there supporting the team and the team have a responsibility to not be closed off, but actually work together in different stages, uh, we ju- we'll have more success. I really believe that. My involvement this year with the Lionesses in particular was was great. So I very much did selfie style yes. uh, chats. I don't really want to use the term interviews because... I like to have chats and I, I, I got my camera and I did, I said, we're going to do this selfie style, you know, we're, for a lot of it, we're just going to have a, a nice friendly chat about how you feel about the tournament and, and the prospects, you know, and perhaps about your past and how you feel. So I, I, I like that. It's nice because it's, they can open up a little bit more. And when I said to them, that I'm not going to shove a camera in your face harshly. I'm going to, we're going to have a chat and we're going to do selfie style. And a lot of them really like that. They went, Oh, great. Okay. And they sort of, they fell into it and also especially because of the generation they're used to this so that was a real pri- privilege for me to be able to spend a lot of time with the lionesses and to really just have a nice open chat with them about this tournament and how how their their football careers have gone and, and i guess uh, where yeah. where you are obviously down in brighton you you're a short hop um over to france did you you made it across there i did yeah the, the nicest thing was a lot of the games were um well, They're quite northern, up. weren't they? Yes. Yeah, they were quite a few of them. So I, I travelled the length and breadth of France and back up and down uh, during the Euro 2016 tournament. Uh, oh, let's let's not go the back team. there. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because that was a very difficult one for the senior men's team. It was quite a long way, and a, a lot of people don't, you don't realise until you, until you drive it. So you know, in in the 2016, I drove down to the likes of Nice and and Marseille, and and yeah, that was that was a long route. The like having um, Valenciennes, which is the game I attended in France, was was really nice because that was uh, that was only an hour and a half away from Calais. That was the so, Cameroon game, I believe, wasn't it? It was. That was no. a really good event. I noticed you uh, some of your posts on social media where you were mingling in with some of the Cameroon supporters and and really feeling the vibe of what was going on there. Yeah, they were brilliant. The fans were were exceptional um i mean valenciennes in particular were brilliant they really turned out the city really turned out for for the games uh for the for the tournament it felt so big it really did it felt like just as big as a men's game and that was so important and the cameroonians were a, a really vital addition to that game they the fans came out and they were singing in the streets and they had their bands and yeah. and they made it feel like a really big occasion too so as did the england fans you know I, I when i got there i wasn't sure whether i was going to start seeing england fans or whether there would be that many england fans there and they, they were and it, that was really nice to see we were out in force across the city so it was really nice and as i said spending time with the with the cameroonians were, was great it's a shame their uh, their team didn't put on such such a yeah. good show they, unf- um, unfortunate the way that one ended they were pretty negative the one of the negative points of the tournament that that probably helped highlight how good the tournament was actually so that having that negative moment showed just how 
how good the rest of the fans, the rest of the the players were, and how respectful everybody was with each other. So having that one negative moment, you know, didn't actually outcast the rest of it really. You mentioned about going to to Euro sixteen and and obviously the Women's World Cup. What what sort of differences? Were there any sort of that stood out just from the whole atmosphere to the to the games? Are there differences there? Yeah, the, I mean, there are a few differences. One of the big differences that I won't harp on too much about is the mainstream media's portrayal of what's going on. Mm. It's pretty, in many cases, fictitious. Yes, there was, I mean, in particular from a supporter's point of view, there was violence uh, that went out in Euro 2016. But a lot of it wasn't actually begun by the England fans. And there wasn't as much of it going on as portrayed on the media. I'd have phone calls from my from my mum uh, when I was out in France in Euro 2016 and say it, for instance, and saying, How, are you OK? What's going? I've seen it all on the news. And I'm going, yeah, I'm fine. It's a brilliant atmosphere over here. And in my own personal experience, having been up and down the country and following England throughout a uh, very short tournament, of course, but having, yeah. see, having been in all the different cities and going top to bottom and back again, I didn't see... Personally, I, I didn't really see much violence. And I know it existed because I've seen the videos. I saw a lot of love between a lot of fans. And I, I, I did a lot of filming uh, with, with, with a lot of fans from, a, from all sorts of different cultures and countries. It was a really, really beautiful thing to see because it, people were cheering each other's songs. They were singing each other's songs. One night we were down in Nice and we were just all together uh, across the old town of Nice, just a sea of different nationalities just singing together. So that was one of the really big things about the difference between how the media portrayed. And I, I think that that's, you know, there wasn't that negativity out in France for the women's. It was a lot more family friendly, the women's, the women's game. There were a lot more families out there than there were for Euro 2016. There was still a lot of respect in both tournaments that I experienced. From an atmosphere, atmosphere point of view, the, the stadiums weren't filled up. The, the tickets were, were quite cheap. The tickets were very cheap, actually. You could get tickets for some games as cheap as, I think it was €9, Euros, mm, yeah. which you just would not have in the men's game. Incredibly expensive to get tickets. I think that's been for highlighted for the, for the recent registration process for, for next year's tournament, where supposedly 1.9 million people have applied for, for tickets for Wembley for the final at horrendous prices. I heard this yesterday, mm. and... There's an argument about how much should be charged. Should they, you know, on, on one sense, it's a good thing if you're having cheap tickets because the working class can afford the tickets. However, the negative impact of that is that people will generally go, yeah, I'll buy a ticket because it's cheap and then not go because so it doesn't matter. I haven't lost much money. Yes. And that was that was seen and felt in the tournament because the stadiums in some cases were half empty. You know, it went in particular that Valenciennes game I think it was about two thirds full. I'm not sure exactly, but there was a, a there was a lot of seats that were empty in that stadium. You know that that's disappointing to see. So maybe the tickets prices needed to be a little bit more to stop that because when 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 prices are higher, like in anything, if you pay a little bit more money for something, then you will generally want to go to that match or you would you want to purchase that or pick up that particular item because it's you've, you've put the money, you've invested some money into it. Yeah. Whereas if you don't really feel the, the burn in your back pocket, then it doesn't matter too much. So I don't know. It's it's something they need to look at going forward into the future. But that, that was another difference there. The atmosphere was interesting. 
I don't think there was much of a difference in atmosphere between a men's game and a women's game. I think that, that I think it's growing. I mean, certainly from throughout the tournament and even back home, the the feel towards the tournament felt big, uh, and that's that semi final game against the US felt like a big deal. Yeah, without um, a doubt. It it was hard to distinguish between that and a men's game. The the men's semi final. Yes, you had more people watching it. Almost half the country watched it. Uh, thir- you know, a good 30 million watched the men's semi-final versus, what was it, 10 million or something? Watching 10 or 11 the, million, yes. Yeah, watching the, the women's semi-final versus the US. So, obviously, there's a huge difference there. But those that did turn out and watch it, it felt like a big deal mm. and that's only going to grow. And of course you, you, we've got to remember that the women's game have a lot to catch up on. They have 30 years or so to catch up on the men's game. You know, that's kind of where we're, where, where we're at really is, a, is about 30 years difference in terms of where the women's game is compared to the men's game. Yeah. And they've got a lot to catch up on. Um, well, but, they, they are catching up quick. I mean, the legacy is a uh, is a word that's often banded around at, at this sort of period of time. Obviously, with the Olympics and and now the women's game. I mean, going forward um, after that semi final, it, it can only look higher, can't it? Yeah, it was disappointing for them not to reach a final. I think I said throughout the tournament, really, they need to get past a semi final to make a real impact um, because they'd been to two prior semi finals. I think progress-wise, they they kind of needed to get to a final to to really hit hit the big time. I yeah. think there would have been a huge impact on the country, uh, more of an impact, I should say, than we've seen if they got to that final. I think it's hard to put numbers on it, but there would have been a few million more watching that final. I think if if England had made that. They probably lost, they, they certainly lost a few million, I would say, having not reached that final because that, that progress wasn't made and it's kind of, oh, same old England. And I, mm-hmm. I do wonder if, I wonder if a few people might kind of have looked at that and gone, same old England, knocked out, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just, there's no point in watching the women's game because of that. I wonder if that, that will have a slight impact, but that doesn't mean that the, the progress is, is going to halt at all. I think that having, the next tournament as as a home Euros is is going to be crucial. Uh, I think it couldn't have come at a better time. It won't come at a better time off the back of this World Cup, where women's football has been as high as it's ever been in any country, really. But particularly here in England, uh, that couldn't have come. That won't come at a better time to build on the on the progress that has been made in this World Cup. It's just a shame that they didn't do more with that. But yeah. they 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 played against. A dominant US side who have been dominant for many, many years. So t- to try and get past the US was was always going to be a f- formidable task. And they just fell short on the night. And actually, through for a lot of the game, I think England played better. I think England played played better in the second half than the US did. For me, watching that, the US looked on the ropes like a heavyweight boxer throughout a lot of it. They looked like they were gonna, you know, they were just desperate for t- calling for the bell. Um, yeah. And it's just unfortunate. They made it count early, though, didn't they? Yeah, they did, and that's that's important. That was that was so important because, as we've seen over the years, particularly in England games, you know, when you score early, that can often go against you. But you have to kind of keep the pressure on, 
something we didn't do and we, we fell short last year in the men's semi-final. Scoring that early goal was kind of went against us as it did 23, 23 years ago in the Euro 96 when we scored early and the Germans came back. But for the US team in the semi-finals this year, they scored the early goal. We came back at them, but the US kept the pressure on. And I think them scoring that second goal was almost deflated us to a point because it's, oh God, we've got so much to get. We, we have so much work to do to try and get back. We've already done it once. Now we've got to do it again. And they did very, very well to keep that energy up and actually to increase their energy in the second half. Um, it just wasn't, it just wasn't enough. Uh, and again, VAR came to, came to the rescue of the U S um, wondered how long it'd be before those three letters came up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's the VAR is a very controversial thing. Mm. Um, it does make it tremendously dramatic that the, the drama that's involved in, in VAR, uh, I think that VAR, was brought in for clear and obvious errors. And I don't think that a lot of what we see are clear and obvious. And it's, it's easy to be biased, of course. I mean, I quite enjoyed it when I was on a neutral perspective. When I was watching a lot of the club games, the likes of City and Tottenham uh, and the VAR, I thought it was tremendously exciting and enjoyable from a neutral fan's perspective. That doesn't necessarily mean VAR's right, though, No. to, to be brought into the game. Yes, I think for clear and obvious errors that needed to come in, I think it was quite unfair for them to bring in VAR into the into the, the World Cup this year for the women's um, because yeah, they hadn't been, been trialed anywhere. No, they? no. So you 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 know the refereeing has had been looked at, uh, the standard of the refereeing had been looked at at previous tournaments, uh, and and pinpointed as not really being strong enough to. So they were they were looking towards this World Cup, hoping that they can build better refereeing and and to throw another tool their way and say, right, now you're going to have to deal with this, which you've not really had much experience with and that we haven't trialled yet, was, I think, very unfair. on the, and Not only on the refereeing, but on the players too. Yeah. And I just think that that's very difficult and very harsh. I think it's it can be damaging for emotion. Yes, it's dramatic, but actually, I think there could be a point where we start holding back on whether we cheer goals. And it, that the whole point of football is scoring a goal and cheering a goal. And seeing that that goal ripple the net, and f- having a feeling like no other, I worry that fans are going to sort of pull back a little bit and go, "Oh, uh, should we cheer this?" Or maybe, maybe, maybe we should just hold fire a little bit until we know whether VAR is going to going to dash our hopes of this. And I, I think there could be a dangerous precedent here that could take away just what f- football is. Yeah, uh, Steve, we we could talk and talk and talk. We um, could, but look, going forward for yourself, what what's going forward? So we've got lots of series coming up. Watch this space. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of series in the pipeline. I can't give away too much at this point because we're all in pre-production stage. Um, but there's a lot to look forward to. Obviously, with England, we've got a lot coming up next year with the Euros. Uh, and and uh, we're, we're already in the planning stages for Euro 21 with the women's wow. football. So that, that's, it never stops. It really doesn't. Um, that's kind of the nice thing from being an England supporter right? and, and working in the media and working on England stuff because I get to very quickly put aside the disappoint disappointment of of the Nations League and the disappointment of of the Women's World Cup and go okay just put that aside let's let's crack on we've we've got lots of stuff to do because you have to start early so Which yeah ironically already- is is exactly what Phil Neville said after going out of the the semi final he was already looking forward to to Tokyo and to the Euro twenty twenty one. 
Yeah, well, you know, you have to because this is this is all you can do. You have to put it aside, and I've learned to do that over the years, as probably many England fans have done. You you have to. to I mean, I feel it more than most. I think I I really do. You know, uh, uh, when it comes to again, probably because I don't have a club to go back to, and it's I, I really feel that that deflation after a tournament, and uh, I still do. It doesn't really get any easier. And it's very hard to digest, but you don't have any other choice. You have to look forward to the next tournament and say, well, what can we do better next time? And uh, I'm lucky enough to work work in in football and, and have that have that focus. So now it's a case of where I've been looking, you know, how can how can I influence England in the in the positive way via the media and um, and, and plan? Uh, I'm in those planning stages right now. And so so that's what we've got to look forward to adopted by that that's something i can say they'll, they'll definitely be adopted by series the best way to kind of keep up with with uh what's going on listeners to your podcast can check out steve hopper tv which is on all the social media platforms cool. yeah. i try to keep abreast with that i'm not the uh the best person when it comes to social networking i'm a bit old school i do my best but it's yeah you can come and uh, visit me and, and follow me and all the rest of the of the uh, buzzwords <laughs> on uh, on twitter and, yeah. and facebook and instagram which is just at steve hopper tv and that's where you can keep keep abreast of all the stuff that i i do with with the varying uh, stations and tv networks and things oh. um and channels well look forward to that we'll uh, obviously link towards uh, your various social channels uh, through the Three Lions podcast and I'd just like to say thank you very much for your time Steve and maybe if, if you're in an England game in the future we can hook up and say hi most definitely Russell it's been a real pleasure thank you very much for inviting me on you're doing a grand job pushing the uh, the Three Lions envelope oh, you, you're very kind I think we're all in it together we are indeed thanks for your time we'll, uh, we'll speak again soon thanks Russell Thank you for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Once again, thank you to Steve Hopper for his time and insights. You can find him on Twitter at Steve Hopper TV and his website, stevehopper.tv. We'll link to those through our own social media. As always, please subscribe at your podcast provider. And if it's not too much trouble, please do leave five stars or a thumbs up. And you can find us on Twitter at Three Lions Podcast. Search also on Facebook and also at threelionspodcast.com. I'll speak to you again soon. Until then, cheers. <laughs>